Welcome back to Refocused, a podcast all about ADHD. I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel. We're going to be taking a brief pause. And before we do that, I wanted to take a moment to express my gratitude to each and every one of you. Your support has been incredible, and I'm blown away by the kind words you send our way every single week. But fear not, we're not disappearing into the ether. We're simply taking a pause to regroup, recharge, and bring you even more amazing episodes. Refocus will return in April, revitalized and ready to help you along your ADHD journey, wherever you might be. In the meantime, we have something special lined up for you. Remember our unforgettable encounters during Refocus Together 2022? Well, we're revisiting those moments, sharing the wisdom, insights, and inspiration from the incredible people we met that year. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. We'll take care of the rest. And now, let's get into today's episode, Jesse J. Anderson and Juggling Chainsaws. Now, a very brief introduction for today's guest, Jesse J. Anderson, known to some of you as ADHD Jesse on social media. He started looking into the disorder after his best friend went through testing and was diagnosed. And after digging into some of the symptoms, it became very clear to the software engineer that this was the missing piece that explained so much in his life. Jesse's been actively sharing little snippets of his life with ADHD on social media since he was diagnosed at 36. He also hosts the podcast ADHD Nerds and writes the weekly newsletter Extra Focus that reaches 30,000 subscribers each week. You can find out about all of the amazing stuff Jesse is creating for this community by heading to ADHDjesse.com. What's so fun about this conversation is that I followed Jesse J. Anderson on Twitter prior to even thinking about telling 31 stories in the month of October. And some of your tweets, it's like a little too close to home, but in a very (laughs) humorous way. And so when you signed up for this interview, I was just like beside myself because your humor and your honesty online is so easy for me to connect with. It's like, literally, I was like, I think one of the tweets, I was like, stop reading my diary to the public. Like, (laughs) this is super uncomfortable. But you have this way of just kind of like opening the curtain. And so I, uh, I just, one, thank you for that, because I laugh all the time. But two, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your journey with us. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I get a lot of people that reply and say, I feel both seen and attacked by random things that I tweet about. And so, yeah, I've really kind of found, uh, I, I don't know, I guess I found my sweet spot there where kind of, yeah, just being really authentic about my own journey and my own struggles and trying to, you know, often present it in a humorous way to kind of uh, laugh at myself, but also just help other people feel not so weird. Because I grew up feel- feeling super weird and super different. And like no one really understood how I worked or why I did things the way I did. And, and I didn't even understand it. And so, yeah, I find that just being really, really open and vulnerable about that, but with kind of yeah a more humorous slant, I find that it really helps a lot more people feel uh, accepted as they are and that, hey, it's OK. It's OK to be weird. We're all kind of a little bit weird. And it's it's nice to know that we're not alone. I 
couldn't agree more. And I think there's something very lovely about having control over what you put out there. But I want to start with your own ADHD diagnosis story. What was that process like for you? What were some of the initial things that were going on that made you kind of start to question or, you know, seek answers? You know, just like take me back to kind of those early days. Yeah. So I I had been married for about uh, close to 10 years at the time. And I was basically oblivious to most of our problems. I thought everything was great. Things, you know, weren't exactly great. When you have somebody, you know, undiagnosed ADHD, there's problems that can crop up uh, after after a while. She had a conversation with a friend of hers who is actually uh, my best friend's wife. So my best friend had been diagnosed with ADHD. I didn't even know about it. And then his wife and my wife were kind of talking about it. And my wife was suddenly like, wait a second, um, <laughs> what this is sounds a lot like Jesse. And so I think she tactfully kind of told me about it, but knowing that she was, I think she knew if she said, hey, I think you have ADHD, you need to get diagnosed, I probably would have rebelled against that idea. So she kind of tactfully told me a couple of things that she heard from her friend. And that got me curious enough that I started looking into it myself. And then I also, after that, I met with my buddy and sort of asked him some questions too. So I was like, oh man, a lot of these are starting to sound familiar. Some of the mo most obvious ones, well, he told me about hyperfocus uh, because prior, prior to being diagnosed, I used to think, I think I even said this to my wife, I can't have ADHD because I have no problem focusing on the things I'm interested in. Um, <laughs> which when you know ADHD is pretty hilarious because that's yep. like almost defines what ADHD is in a way. <laughs> so yes, that was sort of like the first like, oh, well, maybe that maybe that could be a thing because I'll, I'll spend hours and hours and hours on something that I'm really interested in. And then there's a few other things. Uh, being late, I've always been late to everything ever. That's always been a struggle for me. And finding out about like the sleep, uh, issues that are often associated with uh, ADHD, like delayed sleep phase syndrome, which I've always had. I I can't go to bed until like two or three in the morning, which is a problem when you have to wake up at like seven for a job. And then there's, I remember in particular, I was reading just, I don't know, going through random websites and seeing lists of symptoms. And someone pointed out that it's common for there to be like sensory issues. And they specifically said t-shirt tags. And that was like this light bulb moment for me because that's something I never really talked with anybody about, but I've always like t-shirt tags drive me just nuts. So I always rip them out of t-shirts because uh, that the sensory just itch of a t-shirt tag really, yeah, just drives me wild. So it was pretty quick that all that kind of happened within the span of a couple of weeks. And I remember reading things that would say like, don't try to diagnose yourself online, see a professional. So I, of course, ignored all that advice and did all the online tests and everything that I possibly could. And they all seemed to pretty strongly indicate like, yeah, this is this looks like it really explains a lot of things. So my actual diagnosis process, I looked around a little bit, I found several people that only wanted to help if you're a kid. So there's a lot of people that were like, yeah, we'd love to help diagnose your kid, but you, we don't really want to see you. Uh, but I found one person, I just looked at my insurance like specialist directory and I found someone that said they specialized in adult ADHD. So I went and saw her and had a notebook full of all my symptoms that things I'd started writing down that I thought like, oh, these are you know, all the problems I've had my whole life and now maybe I have an answer. 
she listened to those and we talked about some of them. And then I think like the second week when I went to see her again, that's when she said like, yeah, you pretty clearly have uh, ADHD. I didn't actually go through any sort of formal test at the time. She was just heard my story, talked through things and then said, yeah, you have it. And then as far as medication, I guess that's when I was technically diagnosed. And that was like probably nine months later. Uh, so at the time I wasn't, I was like, I don't need, I don't want any meds. I just want to understand what's going on with my brain. And then eventually said, let's try this out. And she referred me to a psychiatrist who mostly only saw kids, but she was willing to see me. And I think because I'd been seeing like a therapist talking about for like eight months, she pretty quickly diagnosed me without me having to go through much of a formal process. So I know I'm lucky in that regard because a lot of people have to go through a lot of difficulty to get that diagnosis. I'm not taking any meds now because I tried several. We did a kind of a plan. I've, I've probably tried like eight different medications and none of them ended up landing for me. So I basically self-medicate with coffee now. I want to touch on one thing. When you made that call to your buddy and you were like, hey, I want to ask you some things. Like, did, did you preface it? Did, was it like, hey, can we go get coffee? I want to ask you some things. Or it was just like, let's go hang out and then I'm going to pounce because <laughs> And the only reason I ask mm-hmm. is I'm going to go off of the stereotype that men are kind of notorious for not wanting to talk about feelings. Again, cliche. Right. But when you said that, that you got together with your buddy and you were asking him questions, I just like that immediately to me shows like this willingness and this like, it's almost like this drive to get some answers. Yeah. So for us, I don't remember how I asked him. I think we just like met up for lunch. Like, hey, you want to go grab a bite or whatever? And we've actually been best friends since like sixth grade. So we've known each other for a long, long time. And part of that, like looking back, it makes it a lot more obvious like, oh, we both had ADHD. So that's why we like connected. And uh, I remember in school, we were the first day of school, we were sitting right next to each other. And we talked to each other the whole time, like instantly we were buds and talked a lot. And so then our teacher, like a couple weeks in, she rearranged seating and she had us on the opposite sides of the class. And we still just talked to each other the whole time. <laughs> so <laughs> after that, she gave up and she just anytime she updated the seating chart, she just made sure we were together and kind of off in the corner somewhere because she figured out like there's no stopping them. They're just going to talk across the whole class to each other if uh, that's the case. So, yeah, so I. So we have a pretty good friendship and really understand each other. And so it was it was pretty easy for me to just be like, all right, bro, what is this? Like, I'm reading all this stuff and it sounds like all the weird things that we've done our whole lives. Uh, tell me more about it. Like, what was your process like getting diagnosed and stuff like that? And so I was lucky to kind of have that relationship already. So it was pretty easy to have someone to just like, you know, pepper with all the questions, like, tell me what is going on here. Because it sounds weird and it sounds nothing like what I thought ADHD was growing up. And it is. It's so complicated and complex. And some of the things you start to learn about, you can't quite comprehend how it actually happens. I mean, for me, you mentioned some of the ones that you first started reading about that you were like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I had never heard the term rumination until the week I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And then it was this like the aha moment. Mm -hmm. I was just like, wait, you mean other people aren't thinking about things that happened in first grade as a 35 year old. And you're just like, Mm. it's kind of unreal. When you look back at your journey, 
you get this diagnosis, it's kind of influenced from people around you who are seeing what's going on. What are some of the areas or what are some of the things that stand out that were a little bit trickier for you or you can now see as like, there was my ADHD. That was there. There it was. I just didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. In school, I basically at some point, I just stopped doing any homework. I, I, I just knew eventually I figured out I was like, no amount of effort that I put into this really gets a satisfactory result. I I'll just try for hours and hours and basically practically be like crying, trying to get myself to solve a problem and just couldn't get myself to do it. And, you know, my parents would get frustrated and it was a whole big thing. And eventually I was just like, I'm just going to not do it. And lucky for me, I, I always aced my tests because I was learning everything and I just couldn't do the homework. And so I had some teachers that saw that and they would basically kind of adjust their grading plan to account for me, which I'm super thankful for. And some wouldn't. And then I'd like usually scrape by with D's in those classes. Uh, But yeah, that was, I think, a really big thing pretty early on, just figured out like I didn't know why, but I knew my brain just cannot do this like busy, what felt like busy work to me. Doing this work isn't helping me learn stuff. It's just helping me like hate the topics. (laughs) So I quickly learned like, don't stop forcing yourself to do it. I know that I'm learning stuff. The grades are what they are, and I'll just sort of deal with the ramifications with like having to tell my parents that and when it came report card time or whatever. So I think that was one of the the big early things where it was like really obvious that ADHD was part of that. Uh, another thing was just I've probably had around 30 jobs in my life. I would just jump from job to job because I would try something and I would either get bored of it or, you know, or like emotional dysregulation would pop up and like the boss would say something that I took the wrong way or just hit me wrong. And I was like, you know what? I don't even need this job. I'm out. (laughs) And I would just like quit (laughs) jobs on a whim. But because of that, I got really creative at like, I was really good at selling myself for new jobs. And I was very creative with my resume of like, all right, which jobs should I put in here that is that I'm not lying, but look the best. And so, you know, just put the year, don't put any dates in there so that it looks like a little bit less ridiculous of a job history rather than putting like 20 jobs in six years or whatever. So yeah, I think some of the, those were some of the big things. And then, like I said before, just being late to everything. It didn't matter how important it was. Like I was late to most job interviews and nothing I could do seemed to change that. It would be the thing where I'm like, all right, I've got 20 minutes to get there. And I have, so that means I have like 10 minutes before I have to leave. And then five minutes before I had to leave, I would think of like, oh, I have to do this real quick and this real quick. And I'd have like 20 minutes worth of tasks that I would try to do really fast um, before leaving. And of course, I just ended up being late to everything. In our house, we call that the, you need 15 minutes. Okay, I'm going to plan for 45. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is, I'm, I mean, you. I'm sure you can very much relate. It's the second my computer's open and I'm working on something and I'm excited about it. I'm like, no, I only need 10 minutes. And he's just, my boyfriend's always like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll come back in an hour. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm notorious for that. <laughs> I would love to ask a little bit about the journey you went through with trying different medications and like, was there something that stood out with like what wasn't working? I know you mentioned some issues with sleep. Mm-hmm. That's a big one for me as well. This night owl. I, I was always like, oh my gosh, I'm a night owl. And it's like, <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so. Cause now that like 
I am medicated and I have a somewhat decent routine. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, it's kind of nice here. Like this is kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so my my medication journey, like I don't remember the order of things I took. I tried Adderall, Vivance, Ritalin, Concerta, Stratera, and I think a couple more. For me, most of them basically did nothing. Uh, we would kind of titrate up and it never felt like it was benefiting me. Uh, so titrate, if people don't know, is just like slowly increasing the dosage. So you start really low and then increase the amount that you take. So I tried that and it never seemed like I hit a point where I was feeling any sort of benefit without uh, negative side effects. I took Adderall and that one just, I only took it for like two or three days because it just made me super angry. I took it and I just felt I was mad at everything all the time. And so like a couple of days into that, I said to my wife, I think I'm going to stop taking this one. It feels like it's not really working. It's just giving me kind of a annoy high annoyance factor. She was like, yes, please stop taking it. <laughs> so apparently that was like a couple of rough days in, in the household. Yeah, another one. Uh, which one was it? Sutera I took. That one did, that was kind of the only one I took that really seemed to make somewhat of a difference. And it was less obvious to me, but uh, my wife said she could tell, it just seemed like I noticed things more is what she would, she said. It was like, I was aware of things around me a little bit more. But unfortunately that, that one had side effects that was just made my, uh, I was just really sick to my stomach with that one a lot. And I couldn't, couldn't ever figure that out one. So I eventually stopped taking that one. I want to go back and try again because I keep wanting to have that moment that I've heard so many people have where they feel like it's like putting on glasses and then now they can like see this whole new, you know, reality or or whatever it is. And I've never had that moment. And I'm hoping that I just haven't found that right mix of the right medication and the right dosage. So I hope that's out there for me. I like the glasses analogy, which is a much more mainstream analogy than the one that I use, which is that it felt like prior to being medicated, I had dryer sheets stuffed in my head. Like, I don't mm. know where it came <laughs> from, but as I was trying to explain the brain fog, and yeah. for me, it was a monstrous, a monstrous difference. And again, like you don't know what you don't know. And right. so you're like, Oh, everyone feels this way. It's it's sometimes kind of crummy, but we're all just like here going along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The glasses one I think really works uh, for me. It, it I have heard other people say it, but I had that exact experience with glasses. I was like 15 or 16 and I was hanging out like some family event and my cousin had like her glasses she had put like on the windowsill and I put them on and then it, I was like, what? what is happening right now? Like I, I remember very distinctly looking out at like a tree that I was out outside the window and I was like, I can see all the leaves on the tree. This is amazing. I had no idea that it was a thing. You just sort of like what you're used to just is your reality. And you don't even think that there could be something to improve upon it. And so that was just like this mind blowing moment for me of realizing like, oh, I could, like there's things I can do to help me see a lot better than what my current reality is like experiencing. Yeah. So when you look at your ADHD, do you consider it hyperactive, inattentive, combined? And, and the only reason I ask is because your personality to me is so like jovial. It's like, 
you you come across as like the class clown, the guy that everyone wants to hang out with, like super fun and outgoing. And I loved that you mentioned like you took the Adderall and you're like, I just was so angry. And like <laughs> to notice that means like you're kind of a happy person. And so I look back at my experience growing up and the class clowns were like kind of the kids that the teachers were watching. And so mm. I was like interested to know when you were really young in those those years when like boys were getting pulled out of class, like left mm -hmm. and right, because that's what they were looking for. Was there no hyperactivity or like, <laughs> I, I, I just have so many questions. Yeah. So I, I, I think I'm more combined type. Uh, so I kind of, I definitely pull from kind of both sides of the presentations. And when I was a kid, I, I had sort of like the internal hyperactivity, but I don't think I was ever like running circles in the classroom and stuff like that. And I was also pretty, pretty introverted, pretty shy kid, like around my butt, like my best friend where we connect with each other, we understood each other. And then I was a lot more kind of like, I guess, like I, I never felt like I was quite class clown, but definitely more like, yeah, lots of humor, uh, you know, laughing, being loud and things like that. I've always been kind of loud, but mixed with being shy and kind of introverted. So I think that's probably a big reason why. I never got that diagnosis early on when they were looking for yeah boys that were being super hyperactive. I think I just wasn't hyperactive enough for that to really kind of yeah be enough of a problem. And I also wonder if partly because I was testing so well, like I almost that was part of it too is like well, he's doing well on his tests, so he's not there's not that big of a problem that we feel like we need to do something. Sometimes I I get kind of frustrated looking back like, man, would this have changed everything if I had been diagnosed back then? But also, you know, it was like the 80s, and 90s, and they didn't really know what to do with kids then anyway that were diagnosed. So I don't know if it really would have even made that much of a, uh, much of a difference. Thankfully, that seems to be changing. I'm going to steal that little nugget that they wouldn't have known what to do with me anyway, because that's a big part of my like working through the grief and the sadness of mm -hmm. it is like what could have been and like hey yeah. rumination can't go back it's not nothing's going to happen it's not going to fix anything so when you think of ADHD right now in your life what is your biggest struggle what is the one thing every day that you're like okay i got to be on top of this because this is what is my hurdle yeah i think a big one is well i kind of I, I like to when I when I feel myself slowing down, uh, I like to add more projects to my plate. Sometimes I refer to it as juggling chainsaws, like juggling, juggling three chainsaws is really exciting until you've done it for a while. Then it's like, well, you got to add another chainsaw or it's going to get boring. And so I feel like I'm constantly adding new chainsaws to juggle and new new projects, new things to do. And it's good in that it does like that helps me kind of continue forward motion. And sometimes I'll get bored with one project and it's super counterintuitive to someone that's neurotypical. But so I've like had to tell my wife, I'm like, I'll, I announced that, Hey, I'm going to start working on this new podcast. And she's like, but don't you have this other thing you're supposed to be doing? And it's like, yeah, but doing this new project will actually help me get to the old project, which I know doesn't make sense, but like that forward momentum, getting that energy, like building up my own energy will allow, like enable me to take on more stuff. But because of that organization, oh, this is one thing I didn't mention before, but 
I've always had like super messy desks and that was like a big problem growing up. Like organization was always difficult and it remains uh, difficult and it's, it's easier to lose stuff now because so much is digital. So it just gets lost in the email and stuff like that. And so I think that is one of my biggest struggles is I take on so many projects and I have so many, yeah, chainsaws in the air. And then I, I struggle to kind of track everything. And so things will slip through the cracks where I don't realize like, oh, I need to finish that video that I did most of the work on and I never published it. Like I need to do that part. And yeah, so the biggest struggles I think I run in with is I just have so much going on and I really should hire like some sort of personal assistant or something, but I don't know how to get organized enough to know what to do if I had a personal assistant. And so, yeah, I think that's, a lot of what I'm doing is just sort of thriving and surviving in chaos uh, and not knowing not knowing a better way to do it other than knowing that there should be a better way to do it. And I just don't know how to land what that is. So that's that's kind of my biggest struggle. I feel very connected to the wanting to ask for help, but also realizing that asking for help and getting prepared to have them help you is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have hired people. And they will ask me, like, let me do things for you. (laughs) And it is very hard to ask for help because in our heads, we're like, it's more work to show somebody how to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it all. How are you balancing all the things you're doing on the side and kind of this role you've taken on as an advocate for ADHD and awareness and the humor that comes with it? How are you balancing that and work? and life and the messy desk that I also very much relate to? <laughs> yeah, I I don't have a great answer because it's a little bit chaos. Because <laughs> yeah, like becoming sort of an ADHD advocate sort of came out of nowhere. About two years ago, I just started writing online, sharing sort of my own story. But I also have like a family. I've got, you know, a wife and three kids and a lot going on there. And Two of the three kids are diagnosed with ADHD and the third one's probably just about to be. We just haven't actually taken the step yet. And so there's a lot going on there. And I also I have a full time job and the way I'm managing it all is I have no idea. It's it's chaos. (laughs) It's I'm just sort of like filling in the gaps. And part of it is I I make sure that the projects I'm doing, I enjoy doing because I feel like time time is so weird when you have ADHD that somehow I can just cram a lot of stuff in if I'm really enjoying a lot of it. So a lot of just, I I stay up late and I work on a lot of stuff in the evenings and on weekends and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it's chaos, but it works for me for the most part. I will say I'm sort of in a weird position right now where the, the work I'm doing is, there's just like something there that I haven't figured out. Like, is this something I could do full-time because I'm like writing the book And so I'm sort of just starting very early, but just sort of starting to explore, like, what could that look like? Is there a move that I could do to do something full time? Maybe this sort of train I'm on doing all this side project stuff will turn into a business of some sort, which would be amazing because then I have more time to kind of pour into it and have more resources. Uh, But who knows? It's all sort of up in the air right now for me. And you put it out there. Yeah. You you put it out there. Hopefully answers come. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the book? Yeah, absolutely. It's been about a year since I announced that I was writing a book. Uh, the book is called Refocus. I did a course uh, last month and I called that Refocus Your ADHD Brain. And the book itself 
it's really aimed to sort of be that the guide that you most people don't get when you get diagnosed because if i hadn't really sought out tried to find more information I don't, I wouldn't have known that much about ADHD. Like I wouldn't have learned about rejection sensitive dysphoria or time blindness or emotional dysregulation, like all these really kind of key foundational things that like, if your doctor diagnoses you, they're not going to tell you about any of that, which is astounding because it's so like important to understanding what it's like to live with ADHD. So my goal with the book is for it to be that sort of starter guide of like, Hey, you just got diagnosed or Hey, you think you might have this. This is like your starter guide to kind of understand almost like ADHD 101, like those basics of what does it mean to have ADHD? What does life look like with it? And then how can you sort of thrive now that you know where those uh, those differences lie in the way your brain works? Obviously, what we're talking about right now with ADHD isn't going anywhere, but you know, you've mentioned like, oh, I found this really cool new research. Like it's coming out all the time. And yeah. I think it's just going to continue to grow in like the subject for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder because so much has changed. And I also think there's like this renewed interest because of the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, ended up working from home or whatever it was, and then their routines went away. And then suddenly they realized, oh, there's a real problem here. Uh, and that kind of combined with the rise of you know, people on TikTok and stuff like that sharing their own journey. And so I think awareness is really kind of hitting an all time high. Like some of that can be problematic because there's people on TikTok saying stuff that's not actually the case. But I think overall, I still think it view it as more positive than negative because it's really helping break a lot of the myths that people have believed for like myself that I believed for like 30 years about ADHD. And so even though there is some misinformation out there in general, I think it's really helping a lot more people become aware of it. And there's the whole like neurodiversity movement, which is really helping propel things forward as well. And yeah, because of that, I think, like you said, there's there's already a bunch of research kind of in progress. And I think there's going to be more just because there's more people aware of uh, what ADHD is really like. Yeah, there's always going to be people who are putting out stuff that it's not necessarily accurate. You know, mm -hmm. anyone can go on the internet. I think for me, I have had such a positive experience interacting with the ADHD community online. And that to me is like so welcoming because I think for a lot of us, middle school, high school, I, I mean, it was probably, it's probably just been my entire life. Like relationships have been hard. And so then you have this entire group of people who understand you and want to see you thrive. And so I would I would love if we could just touch on that. You know, you put yourself out there and people respond to it. And that is exciting. And it probably comes with some concerns. But <laughs> what has your experience been like? Yeah, I think the the community aspect has been amazing. So many of us grew up feeling isolated, feeling weird and different and not really knowing why and feeling like it seems like everyone else got some instruction booklet or something and I missed it. And I feel like I don't know how to connect. Uh, it really feels like we all sort of have each other's back because we've all felt so isolated for so long. And now we're finally finding other people that understand us. That's another thing for so long. I just felt not only isolated, but misunderstood. Like I feel like a lot of people with ADHD have really great intentions and because of the ADHD, like our actions don't always line up with that. And so I think we're commonly 
misunderstood and like people think we have bad intentions because our actions don't you know don't tell the full story and finding other people that understand that and really get it like that actually believe that that's true because it just feels like even when I would explain that to people before they didn't really they're like okay yeah but maybe you're actually just lazy or whatever and I think Every conversation I have with someone, I hear them mention something that they know about that I haven't been exposed to yet. And I'm like, oh, I have to go look that up. Yes. Because it is so in-depth. I want to ask you, we've talked a lot about all the amazing things you have going on and all of the uh, chainsaws, the chainsaws that are in the <laughs> yeah. air. Running chainsaws, right? Is that- Yes, is that, uh, absolutely. Make yeah. sure they're running because otherwise <laughs> they're not as dangerous. Uh-huh. Where do you see yourself thriving? Yeah. I think I'm in a place where I'm trying a lot of things and I'm really able to lean into my strengths. And they're almost like strengths I didn't even know that I had. Like you sort of mentioned before very kindly, like my sort of jovial personality or sort of like sharing humorous takes on things. I feel like I have a strength in sort of getting to like, how can I communicate a big idea with a little amount of words? Like how can I help teach people and grab that feeling that is common, that's hard to describe. And whenever I'm able to lean into my strengths, I always feel like I'm thriving. Like that just feels like, oh, this is like, you know, it's almost like finding purpose. Like this is what I was building towards. I had no idea. Uh, for example, I, I mentioned before that I'm a software developer. I've given uh, talks at conferences about tech topics. So I've talked about like, machine learning and things like that at conferences. And it almost feels like I was doing that in preparation to be able to help teach people about ADHD. And I had no idea why I did that before. And now it feels like, oh, that was almost just like training for this moment now, where I feel like I'm able to make a really big impact in people's lives. Getting diagnosed with ADHD made such a huge impact for me and understanding my whole life and it feels amazing to be able to be part of that story for other people, to help other people have that moment of realizing they're not lazy, crazy, spacey, stupid, selfish, or all those like negative labels we get. Like that isn't the reality. Doing the stuff I do and being able to be part of that story for other people is uh, so fulfilling. And yeah, it just feels like I've kind of found this purpose. And I'm really, yeah, that's where I feel like I'm really thriving these days. And I will just say, I do hope that you get your glasses moment with medication. But if you don't, <laughs> like what you just said is also pretty awesome. Like how easy it flows from you that like you want to help people. Like I think that that is something that is just like we need more of that in the world. This community needs more of that in this world. To wrap up. I would like to ask when we talk about ADHD and kind of the public perception, what is kind of at the top of your list of what you would want people to know? I think it's great. Like I said, that the neurodiversity thing is starting to pick up that we're really beginning to accept that people have different brains and that that's actually a good thing. That's not just something to accept, but to embrace. Uh, I'm reminded in, in the course, at some point, somebody asked, they were talking about a career path they were considering, but they were worried that like, because they had ADHD, that that career path was not possible for them. And I just sort of said, like, you may need some help, like some coaching or something like that. 
But I think people with ADHD are amazing. I think we can do anything. We can do incredible things. There's a thing that uh, Dr. William Dodson calls omnipotential, which is sort of like this idea that people with ADHD, when we embrace something, like when we get excited about something, anything is possible. Like there's any sort of direction that we can go down if we can get like engaged and moving forward, like we can learn anything. Like I've never met, I've never found a thing where I'm like, I want to do this and then found like, oh, I can't. Like, it's just like, if I think, if I look at something, I instinctly or like innately feel like I can do that if I dive into it. Like if I want to learn to do this thing, I'm going to make that happen. I think as people learn to sort of like embrace that, there's a lot of strength that can happen from embracing the what people with ADHD can sort of add to an organization or business or just like their own unique takes on the world and starting something new. Like so many, I don't know the stats offhand, but so many entrepreneurs are overwhelmingly ADHD. Like the percentages are really high there. And part of that is because we just, a lot of us learn that, hey, I don't really function well in like a normal nine to five job. And so I'm going to follow my own path. And because of that, like really creative, unique things get discovered and created and built. And it really makes the world a more interesting place, I think, in a better place. You know, you asked earlier where I feel like I'm thriving. And I feel like in my life, the last five years is when I've been really thriving the most because I felt like the shackles have been off and I can just sort of like embrace who I really am and how my brain actually works and stop trying to force other things that are strategies that are supposed to work and don't for me. I can just say that those don't work for me and I'm going to move on and do what does work for me and go forward with that. Jesse, this was such a pleasure. I am so grateful for this time and for you sharing your story. And I'm so excited to see what comes and to read this book and to like dive into what you know and to increase my knowledge. And I just, I'm, I'm really grateful. I had so much fun. My cheeks hurt from laughing. And um, <laughs> thank you for putting that energy into the world. It, it truly is like a hilarious gift. If you're not following him, you have to because it is like someone telling your deepest, darkest secrets to the, the world, but in a way that's kind and funny and like self-deprecating. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this was, this was a blast. I had a great time. If you've been enjoying the podcast, here's a small favor to ask. Could you take a moment to leave us a rating and a review? Your feedback means the world to us and helps others discover the inspiration and insights we share. Whether it's a five-star rating or a few kind words, every bit of support fuels our mission to empower and uplift our community. So if you found value in our conversations, please consider leaving a rating and a review today. And of course, make sure to check in with us over on social media at RefocusPod and at Lindsay Gensel. And remember, you can always connect with the show directly through email, hello at refocuspod.com. Thank you for being a part of the Refocus community. Your support keeps us going strong, and we're so excited for what's ahead for all of us on the other side of this much-needed break. We'll catch you all right back here in April. 